0: Well, welcome to Crosstown Ministries Expositional Studies. We are continuing our study in, Go- in the Gospel according to John and beginning our journey into chapter 3. Our focus of study for this month will be verses 1-8, through eight, the first subsection of that chapter. We have become aware from the outset that the study of this chapter will be intricately tied to chapter 2. The conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus spills out of what Jesus did in the temple, recorded for us in verses 12-25 through 25 of chapter 2. Before we enter into our study, push pause on your CD player and read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Due to the intricate weaving of these chapters, a brief refresher of chapter 2 will be helpful. The section in chapter 2 that is linked to our passage is the temple scene. We pick up the scene in verse 12 where John begins with the record of what Jesus actually did while in Jerusalem in the temple. Verses twelve through sixteen lays out for us those events that afternoon. The remaining verses in that chapter, verses seventeen through twenty-five, record for us the different responses to what Jesus has just done. In verse seventeen, we see the response of the disciples. In verse eighteen through twenty-two, the response of the Jewish leadership of Israel. In verses twenty-three through twenty-five, the many who believed in Jesus. These four subsections in verses twenty-two, twelve through twenty-five, serve as a background. For the conversation in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This background of the temple scene is extremely significant, for themes in this section seem to carry over and emphasize uh, for us the concepts in chapter 3. In particular, is the main theme of the inability to live according to God's standard, which we call holiness. This is stated plainly, or at least alluded to, in verse 25, when Jesus did not put himself in the hands of the, quote, many who believed, unquote. Although they believed him to be the Messiah, they were unable to live as Jesus, their king, was going to call them to live. There is something else that has to take place within them. Uh, You begin to see this in the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is apparently a good person in motive and morals. When sensing that there is more to this Jesus than meets the eye, he searches him out to investigate Jesus himself. He is seeking, so to speak. He comes to Jesus at the evening time to discuss with him all that he saw in the temple earlier that day, and hopefully to make sense of those events. Uh, He is considered a great man among his people as well. Nicodemus, as the text tells us, is a Pharisee and is a teacher of Israel, obviously a part of the Sanhedrin. He has the credentials, he has the authority. In fact, being a Pharisee, he is an expert in the law and zealous for ritual purity in certain matters. He is to be considered different than any opponent throughout this book, for he is seemingly willing to listen and willing to be taught. This is a great quality among leaders, as we would all agree. There are some more significant features about the introduction of Nicodemus that will be addressed in the text, but for now, let us shift our attention to the conversation. There is ignorance throughout the dialogue on Nicodemus' part, which is really interesting. Each statement given by Jesus is countered with disbelief and confusion by Nicodemus, And yet, this seems to be accepted as typical by Jesus. From Jesus' perspective, Nicodemus is lacking. There is something amiss in his theology, something absent in his understanding. This will also be explored in the following exposition. We need to come to this passage as Nicodemus does, yet willing to receive what Jesus wants to give. Mm. It is the concept of spirit over against flesh, which we will live out of and which will resource our life i would like to invite you to seriously consider with us this passage as it is preached in a revival setting join with us as we enter into the preaching of the word of god
1: couldn't have said it better myself. I really hope you was listening to that song. Uh, it's amazing. Bob said it best. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit seems to work, uh, begins to prepare us. And uh, you understand that worship is not a prelude to the preaching, that it is a blending together, that God inhabits the praise of His people. And if we come in here as deadbeats... And just kind of mope around and sit there and yawn, and it's a good. The worship is the time to talk to our family members, to talk to our kids, and you know, we're missing something. See, he's I'm young, man, and I've caught this. There is there is there is a need to worship him and praise him. It does not matter about the style of music. If we could get past that, it doesn't matter about well, I don't like to sing this. He is, I mean, man, I can worship. I can worship him to an African drum in Kenya. I can worship him to anything. Because he's worthy of that. Got to come back to that. He inhabits the praise of his people. And when we're praising him and worshiping him, he inhabits the midst of that, young people. And he'll honor that and speak to you and transform you, if you're willing. I believe that. Open your Bibles this evening to the book of John, chapter 3. We're going to be dipping back into John, chapter 2 this evening, but only briefly. I want to share with you verses 1 through 8, which is the story of uh, Nicodemus and Jesus and their conversation. It's really powerful. It's a powerful passage. I want to share it with you this evening. And I want to read it first off. I really want us to get... Man, there, there is something that we have got to come to grips with in the Scriptures. We have got to come to grips with. Are you hearing me? We have got to come to grips with this. You and I know... This is to everybody. This is not just to the teen, teenagers. This is to the oldest saint in the place... Christianity is not, a, is not a list of all the good things that I've done. In fact, Christianity is not about doing good things. You understand that, don't you? There are people who will do good things that will never make it. And what I mean by never making it, they'll never, ever, they'll never, ever come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and begin to shine like Him in, in their world. Because you can do good things and not know Jesus. And you can do good things, and not having Jesus living and breathing through you. You understand that, right? There's tons of people out there doing good things, but see, you can do good things and not have Jesus living and acting in your life. Are you with me? Yeah, that huge difference. Christianity is not about doing good stuff. Got to get that, teens. I, in fact, I'm sick of hearing. I heard it on the radio today. Well, my daughter's a, a good person. It's not about being a good person. Oh, I see her praying every day. Man, you can pray every day and not be the demonstration of Jesus in your world. You understand that, don't you? And to not see that is is to realize that we're spiritually infants. Spiritually infants. You see, Paul called the church of his day spiritual infants because they they never moved on to a life that was holy. Move on to adulthood. And wouldn't it be sad if in 40 years, the saints in the church were babies. And the fruit that was bearing in their life was argumentative. It was bickering. It was fighting. It was church splits. It was, I don't get my own way. Don't you see those are not attributes of Christ? I can't stand that in my life. I can't stand that in my life. And so what I've been been defining in my life as good and bad is determined upon what is produced from Jesus in my life and what is produced from Jeremiah in my life. Huge difference. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about Christianity. And this is the the subject at hand in our passage. And you see it so plainly in a teacher of Israel by the name of Nicodemus and Jesus, who is the Christ. Let me read it for you. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could, do, for no one could perform the miracles, uh, the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying this. You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Father, I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that tonight might be as crystal clear... As if you were here speaking yourself. I am tired. I am fed up. Of being a spiritual infant. In the name of Jesus. Because it is, it is not the way you've called me to live. You have not called me to do good things. You've called me to be the very stage upon which you are acting in your world. You have called me to be the very avenue by which you can reach your people, your lost world. And anything short of that, Jesus, oh, it's not the plan of salvation. It's not the new covenant. In the, name of, in the name of Jesus, Father, would you open our eyes, give us insight to the word this evening, that we may get out of our little self-centered plans, that we can get out of our own little deal, we can get out of our own little religious system and begin to get into something that's so much bigger than we are which is the plan that you have for our lives. Oh, we got to have it. We've got to have it. Help me tonight. Uh, it's futile without your presence. Open our eyes. Uh, we love you and praise you. You know we do. Speak to us tonight through your word, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, your
0: son. Amen.
1: Uh, when, when looking at the uh, word of God, you've got to understand that, uh, for instance, even in the book of John, that John has been writing a letter... We're in chapter 3. And so if you take chapter 3 without looking at chapters 1 and 2, you're not going to understand what he's talking about in chapter 3. This is a letter in the first century. And it looks different than our letters are, of course, uh, well, of course, the way it looks in front of us this evening. Uh, The book of John is divided up in our translation into chapters. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We're in chapter 3. But in in, in the original language, this is not so. In the original language, there was no verses and there was no chapters. This was a letter. And so it's often tempting for us at times when we come into a new chapter in the book to take the first two chapters, kind of disregard them and say, well, we've moved into a new chapter. But as we studied uh, Sunday morning in John chapter 2, that's not so, that these things are linked together. And in order to understand chapter 3, we have to understand that chapter 3 is a conversation with Nicodemus. You hear me on this? He is a, it, chapter 3 is a conversation with Nicodemus who saw what Jesus was doing in the temple scene in John chapter 2. And so what we have in John chapter 2, as we've been looking at, verses 12 through 16 of John chapter 2, is the actual events in the temple uh, itself. This is John's record of what Jesus did. You begin to move out of those events uh, into verse 17. And you enter in the different responses to what Jesus has just done in the temple. Verse 17 is the disciples' response. Verses 18 through 22 are the leaders of Israel response. And understand, Nicodemus was one of these leaders. Nicodemus was one of these leaders here. He was one one in the temple. He had been watching what Jesus had done. He He was one of these leaders in verses 18 through 22. And their response is all around confusion. They look at Jesus and what he's been doing and they, they don't understand. They don't get it. Then you come into verses 23 through 25 and you begin to sense the tone of what John has been trying to get across in his book. He's been trying to get across that, folks, Christianity cannot be produced from our own resources. Christianity is not about coming to church. Christianity is not about tithing. Christianity is not about, well, I don't have sex before marriage. I read my Bible. I pray every day. It's not about that kind of stuff. Those are attributes of what's really going on in a believer's life. And you can do the attributes and not have what's really going on. Or what's really supposed to be going on. And you really get in on this in verse 25 right before you come into chapter 3. And what Jesus says, verse 24 as a matter of fact. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He didn't need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. That's verse 25. He didn't need a man's testimony about a man. He knew what was in a man. And you, what Jesus is talking about is he knew the inabilities. He knew the, the, the shortcomings. He knew the abilities of man in terms of performing what God had called them to. God had been calling man from the very beginning, folks, to be a holy a holy person he'd been calling his people to be a holy a holy people were they ever a holy people no because they could not live the life that god called them to live and god was trying to teach them this all the way through an entire old testament we've been singing about man phenomenal song we sang about that tonight constantly through the old testament god was teaching them it's not about you it's about me it's not about you it's about me he raises up a people for himself they find themselves in captivity in Egypt and who is the one who delivers them from captivity? it was God Moses had tried to deliver them years before he goes and tries to kill an Egyptian to save somebody he can't do it he's banished he runs and he hides in Midian where God encounters him he says I want you to go back and lead my people Moses says hey I already tried that can't do that hey I can't speak you don't want me and God says it's not about you it's about me and of course Moses goes back in And everything he says to the Pharaoh Everything he says to his, uh, to his people Is that God is here God is concerned And God is acting is going to bring you out of this place Tells the Pharaoh that Hey, God said And everything that he talked about Was pointing back to God The plagues All an act of God Comes to the Red Sea You have the Egyptians That are flying behind them Who parts the Red Sea? Moses did Come on We know better than that God parted that deal and the people of Israel walked across Who is the one who provided for the people of Israel All the way throughout the desert It was God And when they come into the promised land Which God enabled And you begin to see these awesome feats There's this guy by the name of Gideon Who's got this massive army And God is going to send him against the enemies Who are in the land But before God sends Gideon In his massive army He trims it down doesn't he He has like 50,000 people in the army You have to read this story when you get home teenagers It's awesome the story of Gideon and God Gideon comes to God and he says I'm kind of nervous that army's really tough and God says yeah you're right Gideon that army's really tough and I've been looking at your men and Gideon says they're the best we've got he says yeah but I don't think they're good enough Gideon says I know God says here's what we're going to do I want you to walk out to your army I want you to tell them whoever doesn't want to fight go home and Gideon goes are you sure everyone's going to leave what are you talking about God says trust me go go So Gideon goes out and he says, okay, uh, whoever wants to go home, go home. Half of them leave. So at least you got the brave who are there. But Gideon begins to sense that although he's got the brave there, a large majority of them, they aren't too bright. So he goes back to God and he says, okay, we got the brave ones, but you know what comes with the brave? God says, yeah, you're right. And he begins to, and I'm not going to go through the whole story, but he begins to weed these guys out. He tells them the final one is he tells them to go to a, go to the river, and he wants them to bend down, and he wants them to get a drink. Now, the keen, the keen soldier, and I'm a Marine, I know this, the keen soldier would never take his eyes off where the enemy might be coming. He would never take his hands off his weapon. So a keen soldier would get down on it one knee, and he would bend his water... Or bend his mouth to the water and lap the water with his tongue, which is what Gideon talks about. But there are some who just get down on their hands and knees, and they're just getting in there with their face, face not looking at the enemy. Have their 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 weapons all in the mud, you know that kind of thing. And God and Gideon's of course embarrassed. And God says, everyone you see that's lapping and they don't know what they're doing, they got their weapon in the mud. Tell them they're in. The rest of them go home. And Gideon is left with three hundred brave dummies. <laughs> that's his army that's the real story that's his army and God says this is the army that I'm going to deliver your enemies into your hand wow and then God says do you know why I'm doing this Gideon I'm doing this to show you that this battle that's going to take place today is not from your own hand but it is from my hand Amen. and God delivers his people once again not through the wits of man not through fancy preaching not through really tough guys He delivers them from His own power and His own might. He's teaching them, guys. He's teaching them in the Old Covenant that they cannot, the law. Paul says, you remember this, don't you? Paul says that the law was given to show them their sin. That the law could not produce righteousness. In fact, by the law, the people died because of their sin they weren't able to live the way God called them to live so you come into the new covenant and the new covenant is the second half of God's plan which is to provide them with the resource to live the way that God wants them to live which is a resource that we do not possess come on that's clear as mud that in the new covenant which is what we have in the gospel according to John we have the resource to live the way that God wants us to live Wow, say amen that's good stuff So this is what's going on here. And what you have in this scene is a member of the old covenant system, Nicodemus, who is unable, unable to grasp, to get a hold of what's going on in Jesus, which is the product of the new covenant. And someone under the old covenant who's living out of his own flesh, living out of his own strength, living out of his own mind, cannot get a hold of, cannot understand someone who's led by the Spirit. Someone who's resourced by God himself. Wow. That's what's going on in this passage. Now you have this in verse 25 again of chapter 2. John ends this chapter with, He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Then he goes into chapter 3 and he says, Now there was a man. So he's built this case for, hey, man is unable to live the way that God has called them to live. And there was a man... And what he does is, is he picks the greatest man of his day. John picks the greatest man of his day. If there's going to be anyone who is able to live the way that God wanted them to live, it would have to be a teacher of Israel. It would have to be one of the teachers in the temple. It would have to be one of the big boys. And Nicodemus was a teacher. He ends up becoming a follower of Christ, which tells you that he had a good heart. So he's got a good heart and, and he's a scribe. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. What's interesting about this first verse, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees. Uh, really quickly. That word of, teenager, that word of is a genitive. And you guys know what genitives is, but your, your parents don't, so I'll explain it really quick. Genitives uh, are, are a, part, a part of their speech in the original language which shows possessiveness, possession. Possession. It exerts possession over something. So, for instance, when you say, uh, uh, Grandpa might say, Jeremiah is of me. He belongs to me. And it shows possession. We're related. And he has he has some type of relationship, some type of ownership over me. Why? Because I married his granddaughter. He's, he's with us. He's of us. Different words translated from genitives. But this is the idea. Shows possession. Shows possession of. And those are genitives. But this genitive right here, of, and we lose this in our translation, is much stronger. It's much stronger. It's the word ek. Isn't that a cool Greek word? If I was a Greek word, I'd be ek. That'd be me. (laughs) is the Greek word. And it, it does have to do with possession over. In other words, Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. He belonged to that group. But it was stronger than that. It's the word ek, which literally means that he was not just a part of that group, but he was produced from that group. So of is supposed to be literally translated, there was a man produced from the Pharisees. So he just wasn't a Pharisee, you understand. Uh, I belong to Bob but see there's a difference between I belong to Bob and being produced from Bob. You see the difference? Nicodemus was a member of the Pharisees. He belonged to their group but it was bigger than that because he was produced from the Pharisees. Now you know who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees were the leaders in Jesus' day. They were the experts in the law. They were the ones who, who were the scribes. They were the ones who were in the temple who were setting the standard. They were the teachers in the synagogues. These guys, the Pharisees you guys, They were the general superintendents of their day. They were the ones who set all the standards. They're the ones who made clear they were the evangelists. Yeah, they were that big. They were the evangelists of their day. I mean, they they were the experts. If you had a question on Bible quizzing, who would you go to? The Pharisees. That's right. You'd go to the Pharisees. Because these are the ones that had these things nailed. In fact, Jesus commends them on this later on in the book. He commends them later on this. In chapter 5 he says stuff like You diligently study the scriptures You yeah, diligently study I mean they were, they were into this kind of thing The scribes were the one And you can see the orthodox Jews in, in our, On CNN once in a while They still kind of carry on some of the traditions of the Pharisees The Pharisees would take scripture Ball it up And put it in little boxes And they would tie it on their foreheads True And it was a symbol that they were always Thinking about the law That thing was their life. They dissected that. If you got in an argument match on someone over the Scriptures and they were a Pharisee, you might as well hang it up. You're going to lose. Because these guys knew everything. Everything. They were the Pharisees. And so what John does is he takes a man by the name of Nicodemus who just wasn't a Pharisee. He just wasn't a, a good guy. He was produced. ...from the Pharisees. He was the best... ...he was the best of their day... ...in terms of knowing the scriptures. He was the most religious. This guy had it all together. And he brings him in and he has him talk to Jesus... ...and this is phenomenal... ...because Nicodemus does not know what's going on. He cannot explain... ...what Jesus was doing in the temple. Which would depress me... ...if I was a Pharisee... ...because there's no one else to go to. When I have troubles about the scriptures... ...I go to my grandma Judy. But see... If Judy's not around, I don't have anywhere else to go. Okay, that didn't work. If you have a a problem, if you have a problem understanding the Scriptures in your church, who do you go to? The pastor. Well, if you're the pastor and you're having a problem with the Scriptures, and there's no evangelist around, you're in trouble. (laughs) That's an evangelist joke. But that's, that's what's going on here. You see, the Pharisees, who were the top of their day, could not understand what's going on. And they were were the elite. Here's the story. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said. Now listen to his voice. He's almost rambling. Rabbi. Uh, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Hey, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. You can see he comes up to Jesus. He's probably sweating. And he's probably looking down. He's probably pacing. Jesus is relaxing behind a tree. Or up against a tree at least. And, he's, and Nicodemus is walking back and forth. And he's frustrated. He's confused. He says, well, first, like, you, he's walking back and forth. He's probably you know, very visual like I am. And he's got his hands out. And he says, we know you're a teacher. From, you have to be a teacher from God. No one could do what you're doing unless God was with him. And he's really... Do you sense that? He's really confused. Hey, no one could be, I mean, we know you're from God, but we've got these doubts and, hey, no one could, no one could do these things unless God was with him. And Jesus almost interrupts his thought. And he says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And he looks at Nicodemus and he says, Hey, I, I knew you were in the temple. I saw you. you. were sitting over there. Yep, when I ran by, that was you. I saw you sitting right over there. And I know that. But see, no one can see what was going on there unless you are born again. Now, the idea of born is easy. It's easy. If you've ever had a child that's being born. It's, it's a new life that comes into the world. Has a personality. Has a, has a perspective on things. I mean, it has, it has, it has feelings. It's, it's a brand new creature that's born. It's the first time. There was no before. It just happened. It was born. Wow. New one into the world. But if you are born again, that's not an improvement. Shake your heads. That's not an improvement. I struggle with this. I'm trying to just, just explain this to my old teachers in high school. <laughs> When they saw me, I remember moving back after uh, I was born again. Jesus got a hold of me. And I saw my teachers, and they looked at me and gave me that look. I remember you. Everyone remembers you. (laughs) And I tried to tell them, no, I changed. But change, that isn't strong enough. That word isn't strong enough. And so I said, no, I just look like Jeremiah. No, you're Jeremiah. (laughs) No, no. I'm not Jeremiah. The Jeremiah you used to know, he's gone. This is a new one. Oh, I look the same, smell the same, act the same. Same great looks, personality, all that. But I'm from the inside out, from the inside out, man, I am brand stinking new. In the name of Jesus, man, I'm a new person. That guy is dead. He is no longer exists. I didn't get my act together. And you know, we, we, we talk like that. We talk like that. Someone gets saved in the family... And we say, oh, they finally got their act together. No, no, they didn't. No, they didn't get their act together. Well, they shaped up. No, no, they didn't shape up either. What happened? Wow, there was an act of God in their life and they were changed, man, from the inside out. That there was a movement and activity of God that was going on that you cannot reproduce that. You can't rep- You can't. And Nicodemus couldn't buy that. He, he didn't understand. In fact, he's so confused. Listen to his response in verse 4. How can a man be born... When he's old. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is an old man. He says, I'm in trouble. I must be out. How can a man... And he's, he's working this out in his head. And Jesus stops him and says, listen. Gives him some content. Stick with me now. He gives him some content of what he means by being born again. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter... That idea of enter is literally like when you walked into the church tonight, you walked through the doors, you entered the church, you entered in the confines of what's going on in Jesus. What was going on in Jesus, when you're born again, you walk in the midst of that and what Jesus is involved in, you're involved in. That's, that's the deal. He says no one can enter into the kingdom of God, which is the rule of God, the authority of God, which is what's going on inside of Jesus. No one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, which was the idea of repentance which was the idea of forgiveness which was the idea and see all of that's good but you understand Christianity listen to me now Christianity is even bigger than saying I'm sorry I won't do it again bigger than that my wife and I were at the bookstore today my birthday we went out and celebrated went to a bookstore used bookstore <laughs> and we went upstairs to the religious section and there was an NIV study bible for three dollars I thought wow man that's a bargain and I flipped it open, didn't I, Krinda? To the very back page. And this is what it said. I thought it was hysterical. What did it say? <laughs> it was a great line. This guy wrote on here. He said, oh man, this is great. He said so. Something about so. Have fun sewing. Uh the seeds of partying and all that kind of stuff and it was summarized it like that on Saturday night and hope on Sunday morning that the harvest doesn't grow well he said it much better I can't remember how he actually said it but the idea was is you go out and live on Saturday night like you can Sunday morning go say you're sorry that's not what we're talking about and we are deceived if we live like that. And I know people live like that. Well, I live the way I want to Monday through uh, Saturday. And Sunday I go to mass or go to church. And I uh, say I'm sorry and I repent. God forgive me. We understand obviously, obviously, that's not what we're talking about here. You know that, right? That you can come to God and say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And that's not what he's looking for. That's not what he's looking for. That's not being born again. No one can be born unless they're born of Water. Which is repentance, which is I turn from, but it's and the Spirit. In other words, Christianity is not coming to church, I've said I'm sorry, I don't do those kinds of things anymore. That's not saved. Being saved is being being forgiven, it's turning from and then being, being resourced by the Spirit of God and living a life that you never was able to live before in the past. Say amen, that's truth. Amen. He says... No one can, uh, verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Then he says, verse 6, flesh gives uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. He says, man, flesh. Flesh, this stuff, right? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And what the flesh produces is, is different what the spirit produces. And in fact, what the flesh produces can never measure up to what the spirit produces. Amen. And he says, Nicodemus, what you were seeing back there in the temple, what you did not understand was the moving of God's spirit. It baffles you. Why? Because you're a flesh. You're of this kind of stuff. You're a flesh. And of course, he says that there. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Then he tells him, you shouldn't be surprised at me saying this. You must be born again. Then he talks about the wind, which many of us, I I found this as well as a new Christian, why would he start talking about wind? What sense does that make? Well, in the the original language, the word for spirit is the same word for wind. And so this is a play on words. And what he's doing, he's giving Nicodemus a tangible illustration about the spirit. And he says, the wind, verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it, come from's, or where it comes from or where it's going. In other words, he looks at Nicodemus and says, Hey, man, you understand the wind, which is the same word for the spirit. You hear its sound. Hey, you walk outside and you see the you see the, the, the leaves blowing in the wind. You never see the wind, but you feel it on your face. I mean, it's blowing your hair. It really annoys you when you're driving in the car. And, and you feel that. It feels really good when you're hot. And you feel the wind, but you can't get a hold of it. You don't know where it's going. You don't know where it came from, but you know it's there. And he says, it's the same one. Verse, uh, the end of verse 8. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In the same manner. You see someone who's living by the Spirit. And you know that the Spirit of God is on him. You know that the Spirit of God is moving in him. You see what God is doing. But you can't define that. You can't track that. You say, what's going on with that kind of guy? That's what we're talking about in terms of Christianity. It's bigger than just, well... uh, I don't drink, smoke or chew or go with girls who do. Sure, yeah. And I'm a Nazarene. It's got to be worth something. And I wear suits and ties on Sunday. And I keep my hair short, part on the side. And uh, I don't eat too much. And of course, I, I, I'm a preacher. That's got to count for something. I work in the sound booth on church. And uh, I volunteer. I mow the yard. Flesh. That's flesh stuff. Unless, unless you have a life that's resourced by the Spirit. The only tangible illustration I can give you this is an illustration that has taken place in my own life. Every gift that we have as Christians that Paul lists, the gifts of the Spirit are, you know them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness gentleness, and self-control.
0: Is
1: there eight or Seven there's seven those are gifts of the spirit which let me tell you something young man when you start getting older and older and you probably are there right now and your hormones in your body start going out of control how are the way you're going to be able to control those there are not enough cold showers in all the world to control those things I'm being frank with you there's not enough of, uh, of stomping your foot there's not enough saying I'm going to try harder self control is a gift of the Holy Spirit folks And gentlemen, if you are struggling out there and you're falling on your face day after day and you are living in a temptation you can't get away from, I will tell you that you are not living by the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you flat out. I am not into pornography. I am not into that kind of stuff. Why? Well, I'm an evangelist. I discipline myself. No, Jesus. Because He is resourcing my life. And I'm living out of a... Can we talk like that? that's truth can I be that plain if you're struggling with bitterness if you're struggling with anger and not being patient what can I tell you this is bible man that's how it's not that's not super christianity you've been called to live that way man you've been called to live under the guidance and the protection and the resource of the holy spirit I've got to give you an illustration uh, I, when I first, and my mom knows this. When I first became a Christian, I struggled with my mother. I grew up in a terrible home life. I didn't. I didn't. I, I hated my family. Long story. Moved to California. Didn't talk to anyone in my family for almost four years. God got a hold of my life. I moved back to Indiana. Gave my life to Jesus. Still had trouble with my mother. I, I put a mask over it. I smiled I smiled a lot I pretended but every time I got around her there was this and God would convict me of that over and over and over and over and one day I came down to the altar and I just confessed up and I was honest with God God I can't change man I can't, dis- I can't hide that I can't discipline myself. I can't cut it. I can't do this. And the only way that I'm going to be able to forgive my mother is if you create forgiveness inside of me. Wow. And he began to create something inside of me that was not inside of me before. And he created forgiveness inside of me. And I began to love my, my mother. I began to show forgiveness of my mother. I began to show relationship and have a relationship with my mother that was never there before. And people say oh he finally got his act together he finally dis- disciplined himself no I didn't what happened Jesus is what happened came down upon my life he created something inside of me that was not there before and I began to live out of a resource toward my mother in a way that I never lived before the psalmist we talked about it last night the psalmist has created me a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within me why? because the other one doesn't work And Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says, listen, it's not that you're bad. You just don't have the resource. You don't have the ability. Are are you living out of that resource? Understand, hey, it's not that you're a bad person. You're a good person. It's Tuesday night, you're at revival. It's after eight, you're listening to me. You're not bad. But what if Christianity is not about good and bad things? What if it's not about that? What if God did not come to make you into good people? What if he came to make you into agents of himself? If he came to make you into vessels by which he can reach through you into a world? It's not about good or bad. It's about him. It's not about about good motives. It's about him. It's not about I didn't mean to. It's about him. It's about living out of a resource that is so far beyond me. Man, I've got to have that. I've got to have that, Father. We love you this evening. In the name of Jesus, I, I am sick. Of, I'm so sick of not measuring up. I, Father, I was so sick for the longest time of falling, over twistedness, over fleshly stuff. I was so sick of seeing people as objects. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I mean, hey, it wasn't that I didn't want to follow you. It wasn't that I, that I wanted to use people for myself. It wasn't that I wanted to be evil. No, I didn't want that stuff. But I was trapped. I was enslaved by a body that I, I could not produce the life you called me to live. I couldn't produce that, man. I couldn't produce that lifestyle. I couldn't measure up. And I was beaten down to the point of being fake. I was beaten down to the point of, of pretending. Oh, God. Would you wake us up? This thing's not about this thing's not about try hard or discipline yourself. It's about giving up. It's about what Paul says, "I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Would you bring me into a lifestyle that is resourced by you? Would you begin to create love in me for the people that I do not love and cannot love? Would you begin to create in me forgiveness for the people that I cannot forgive? Would you begin to create the right perspective in my body for other men and women? Would you begin to create a confidence in you financially that I do not have? Would you begin to teach me to live by faith? To live in response to the Spirit of God that's in my life? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not even looking around. Uh, I, this, this is for me tonight. I'm not a bad person I'm a a good guy but God has been speaking to me lately about the oddest thing He's been speaking to me about my sense of humor Uh, do you tell dirty jokes Jeremiah is that what it is no no I don't tell dirty jokes well you rip on other people is that what it is no I don't I don't rip on other people but they're just fleshly I I don't know how to describe it it's been been recently in the last few weeks I just I want to be known as someone who's after God not someone who's a jokester I want to be known as someone who's hungry who is a living demonstration of who you are not as someone who's pulling pranks who's never serious and my first response is to fall on my knees and say forgive me and maybe there's an element of that in my life, but it's really I'm turning from that and saying, Hey, God, would you create a new personality for me? Maybe you've been struggling in your life tonight. Maybe you've been struggling with sin. Maybe you've been struggling with inadequacies. Maybe you've been struggling with attitudes and bitterness and unforgiveness. Maybe you've been struggling with not being able to live the life that you know God has called you to live. Oh, I tell you, you're not bad. I tell you, you're not resourced. Would you respond tonight? Would you respond tonight? Would you come down and fall on your on your hands and knees and humble yourself before God and say, I don't have what it takes? I I need you in this area of my life. Father, this is the prayer of our heart. I pray for us tonight. We love you. We're following you. We serve you. Would you move upon our life? You're so good. You take, you take a 20-year-old Marine who is self-centered, who is mean. And I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm a different man. I think differently. And I look back at the old Jeremiah and I watch videos and I see pictures and I don't, I don't look the same. I don't act the same. And it's not because I shaped up Jesus. It's because you've done such a work inside of me. You're living inside of my body. Instructing me. Resourcing me. Giving me your strength. Letting me tap into your mind. I want that. Oh, I want that more than life. I want to see your scriptures through your eyes. I want to have the knowledge you have. I want to have the compassion that you have. I want to laugh at the jokes you laugh at. I want to be the hand of ministry that you would be. Jesus, I don't want there to be a difference between you and me. I don't. I don't want there to be any difference at all. I want you to fashion me in such a way that when someone pokes me, my response is so much like yours, you can't tell them apart. It's a prayer in my heart. Father, as you sing through the people who are worshiping tonight, as the brothers are worshiping, as you sing through them, God, would you... Would you call your people to response? Would you call them to lay their life at your feet? And if it would be one of them who are singing, hey, we'll listen to music. We love you tonight, Lord Jesus.